This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go! It is the Lightning Round Podcast. I'm at Garrett Sisti. He is at Lightning underscore round. Jamie is here, and we are here to discuss the 17-13 loss of the Arizona Cardinals for the Chargers preseason opener. We have two donations this week. They each have a question attached, so we'll get to those, and then we'll dive into this football game. So the the donations came from Alistair Lloyd and Ben Jacobson. So thank you very much, Alistair and Ben, for your generous donations. We really do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And they, they both uh, had some comments and or questions. So we'll start with Alistair's. Uh, Alistair says, Jamie and Garrett, thanks for all that you do. You made the McCoy years bearable. That sounds like a miracle to me. What do you think? <laughs> uh, in parentheses, somehow. Through your good humor and analysis, which makes the reward of current success all the more sweet. A quick question for the pod. Rivers had a mostly stellar 2018, but slowed down towards the end of the season. Are you confident he will make it through the entire year playing at the same high level again? Or is this finally the year that fans can expect a drop-off? I feel like this is the same question we get for the last four years straight, five years straight. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, who can predict it, you know? I think we're probably going to see a lot from last year. Uh, we might see a little bit of the hiccups early on. He's probably going to hit his stride week four or five once he gets into his groove. And then by week 13, 14, we're all going to be questioning that arm strength. And, you know, last year, like you said, he had a stellar season. Chargers got a playoff win, so that's not so bad. I say that this year's a lot like last year. Yeah, I think this is pretty much what we're going to see moving forward as, as long as he continues playing. I think, you know, he'll he'll build momentum, get hot in the middle of the season, put up some big numbers, shred some defenses. And then depending on how the offensive line holds up around him and what kind of hits he's taking and, you know, how much abuse he's taking, you know, we we might see some of that uh, reduced arm strength late in the year. We might see some of that production decline against better defenses that are giving that offensive line a difficult time uh, late in the year. And you might see, in some cases, a little bit of Chuck and Duck Phil. I just think that's where we are at this point. Um it just seemed like he wore down last year, which is not necessarily a knock on him. He took a lot of hits. He is, I believe, 38 now. Mm-hmm. So uh, you would expect somebody who's taken the hits he has over the last, what, 14, 15, 16 years um, to wear down over time. He's been remarkably durable, but you're going to have some of that, you know, uh, you know, age-related regression at times as the body wears down. It's, it's unavoidable. Yeah, yeah, no, we agree there. Okay, so Ben Jacobson asked a question, and it's about the offensive line, which you were just talking about. Uh, glad we're back, boys. How's Trent Scott looking? Uh, we'll talk about him in a bit. How about the blind side and all the news is surrounding Lamp? Are there realistic options you could see Telesco snagging before the season starts? Also, are you worried about the O-line as much as I am? Um, I'll answer the last question first. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh I know some people were saying that they thought that Tevi and Scott played well uh, lat- on Thursday in their extended snaps against the Cardinals. Uh, they did not give up a whole lot of uh, pressures or sacks early in the game with Tyrod Taylor in there. Of course, Taylor's mobility and escapability help with that. I think it masked some of the some of the issues they had up front personally, but I think Garrett will be covering that here shortly once we talk about the offense. And uh, I do not trust those guys going into the season. Uh 
heavy a little more so than Scott, just because he's been around a little bit longer, but I'm not comfortable with either of those guys at the tackle position, and they don't really have any depth behind them if Okun does not make it back this season. So there is plenty of reason to worry about in terms of you know realistic options. I mean, maybe you get a surprise salary cut at the end of camp. Uh, somebody's banged up or isn't playing well and he's making a lot of money and he gets cut and you can bring somebody like that in. But I think for the most part, you're probably looking at, you know, backup journeyman linemen uh, to come in and provide some depth more than you are, uh, you know, a starting option who's going to come in and be, you know, head and shoulders above what Te- what Tevi and Scott are doing. I just think that at this stage of the offseason, you know, they didn't really address it, in my opinion. They didn't really address it in the draft. I know they drafted Pipkins but I'm sure Garrett will be talking about him soon. And he did not look very good in his initial preseason action. So uh, no, I don't think there's a realistic option. I think, you know, if they bring in anybody in its depth, maybe to replace a Spencer Drango or something like that to help push Pipkins further down the roster, the depth chart. But that's about all you can look for at this point. Yeah, I think uh, your best option is uh, a cut during 53s. But I think it's also pretty slim because uh, Coons is supposed to be back this year which means then Trent Scott becomes the uh, swing tackle and you've got Sam Tevy on the right side, Okung on the left side. And then, you know, like they talked about, Trey Pipkins is the project, a guy that they said they were, you know, admittedly was a year or two away. So we talked about it in the offseason, but this is going to be where the Chargers falter. I mean, it's all going to be on this offensive line. They didn't address it in the draft. And, you know, of course, Pipkins is. But, you know, again, they said that he was a year or two away. So they didn't do anything for the short term. And uh, in free agency, they did not grab any offensive linemen. Uh, getting Forrest Lamp helps. But, you know, if you look at the 2019 offensive line, it didn't really change much at all. You know, Pouncey was a pro bowler, but he kind of wore down toward the end of the year. And Okun was great last year, but Sam Tevy and Dan Feeney and Michael Schofield were all bad. And, uh, you know, maybe Forrest Lamp helps out a little bit, but I really do think that Telesco is playing with fire with his offensive line. I think it was uh, one of their biggest needs in the offseason, and they didn't address it. And, you know, we applaud him for finally going after a defensive line in the first round. Uh, he got a free safety that he needed in the second round, got some veteran leaderships in Thomas Davis and Tyrod Taylor. Uh, great. But, you know, they didn't have a lot of holes in the, one of the biggest ones, the offensive line, and they did not address it. So, yes, we're all worried about it. And, you know, this team's going to go as far as this offensive line can take them. Yeah, they're going to have to hold up. Um, I, th- I thought in some, some of the players on the line looked okay on Thursday, but this, you know, they're all question marks at this point. Can Lamp, st- can Lamp stay healthy? Can he hold down the left guard spot? Are they smart or foolish for relying on Schofield? Um, as much as they are, he seems like he's basically inked in at right guard, and they're not really playing with that at all. Uh, big question marks on the tackle spots. And like you said, Pouncey started out like a house of fire last year, really wore down late in the year, was not nearly as efficient or, or reliable as he was late in the year, uh, or as he was early in the year later on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, Pouncey, now a year older, he's a guy who looked like he might have been in some decline in Miami when they cut him. He bounced back early last year. Who knows what he's going to look like this year. They're already working Dan Feeney in at center. They've moved him from guard to center, which kind of makes you wonder if they're worried about Pouncey on some level because they're getting Feeney a lot of snaps at center. So while we know who's going, who the center is going to be, uh, we aren't really sure what to expect just based on age and some of the injury issues he's had. He's got those degenerative knees. How are they going to hold up for a second consecutive year? So a lot of question marks. 
Yeah, and what uh, Jamie was kind of talking about earlier, we're doing a little bit something different this time around for this first preseason game. Jamie watched the defense, and I watched the Chargers' offense. So uh, we're each going to give our storylines on the on the uh, side of the ball that we watched, and uh, we'll just kind of go back and forth. And I'm sure we'll rotate. I'll take defense next week, and he'll take offense. But um, for this time around, I watched the Chargers' offense. Jamie watched the Chargers' defense, and we've got the three important storylines from that loss in Arizona. So Jamie, uh, give me your first from the defense side of the ball so i think the first uh, storyline from the defensive side of the ball was the rotations at the linebacker spot which i think probably caught some people off guard i know in the graphic at the beginning of the game uh, cbs showed uh kaiser white and denzel perriman as the starting linebackers but that is not who actually started the game kaiser did but kyle wilson somebody who i think most people had at the very back of the death chart uh started the game and he started at will because uh, obviously Jatavis Brown and Thomas Davis were not playing. So he got a he got pushed up the depth chart, was able to play quite a bit in that game, played I think pretty much the whole first half and into the third quarter. Uh, you also saw, like I mentioned, Kaiser White started at Mike, not Denzel Perriman. Perriman came in with the twos. And then we saw a whole lot of Nick DeZubner and Kyle Wilson and Drew Tranquil rotating at the linebacker positions later in the game. So you're kind of seeing them trying to figure out what their depth looks like while guys like Brown and Davis and Perriman are on the mend from their offseason surgeries and rehab assignments. Uh, But, you know, we saw a lot of guys that we all came into camp wanting to see. We saw a lot of Kaiser White, or not a lot of Kaiser White, but he did start. And we saw a whole lot of Drew Tranquil, which will be one of my storylines here in a minute. But uh, it seems like the whole linebacker rotations kind of been flipped on its head. Another big thing we didn't see, and it's another one of my storylines, but I'll kind of lead into it, is that uh, uh, Ochenna Nuosu was not playing linebacker on Thursday. He played pretty much exclusively at the Leo position, which might be an indication that the team is changing its plans for him, which could be smart. I think it might put him in a better position to succeed, but we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Yeah, okay, and then we'll get into it. But, um, yeah, I was going to bring it up later on, but, you know, we've already talked about the offensive line, and it's important, so I'll go ahead and start off with it. And I think uh, early on in that game in Arizona, they held up nicely, but uh, as that game wore on, they kind of broke down late. Uh, we saw Dan Feeney and Forrest Lamp play 100% of the snap, so you saw uh, Forrest Lamp at left guard and Dan Feeney, like you mentioned a little bit earlier, was playing center, and they played every snap on the offensive side of the ball. Trent Scott played 70% on the left side at left tackle, and Sam Tevy played 67% of the snaps at uh, right tackle. Uh, when the Chargers began rotating Trey Pipkins is when that offensive line began to give up more pressure. Lamp gave up a sack in the second quarter where he had a pull at the edge, but Cardell Jones, of course, proceeded to run into pressure, into the sack with Lamp chasing, so you can't quite put it on Lamp, but uh, he did give up the pressure, and you know, I think if... Rivers is under center. He feels that pressure a little bit better, or maybe any quarterback in general. Maybe has a better feel for the field and uh, feels that pressure coming on his back and runs the opposite way instead of into the guy. But uh, regardless, you know, Lamp gave up a little bit of pressure. But on the first two drives with this, with the quote unquote starters, that offensive line opened up some huge running lanes for Austin Eckler. While watching it live, you know, it was like, oh, Eckler's really breaking loose, uh, looking like he's getting some wiggle. When I finally watched back the second time around, 
those interior guys were getting some real good push up front in the first two drives and opening up huge holes for both uh, both Eckler and for uh, Justin Jackson. So a uh, great job early on from the interior there. You know, once Tyrod Taylor left, so did Michael Schofield. So Schofield, like you mentioned, they're kind of catering him as that starter, and he kind of got that veteran look where he started the two drives, and then he was off with Tyrod Taylor, and then they threw in Scott Questenberry. So, you know, guys like Dan Feeney and Forrest Lamp, who they're going to be depending on this year, uh, had to play 100% of the snaps, which which you can understand because Feeney's playing a new position and Forrest Lamp's finally getting his legs back under him. The tackles did okay. I was much more impressed on Thursday with Trent Scott than I was Sam Tevy. I thought that Sam Tevy had some real issues. There weren't a lot of pressure. There was a couple penalties. But uh, later on in that game, he just kind of broke down and Trey Pipkins took over and it, it just, it wasn't all good for Sam Tevy. Dan Feeney, Forrest Lamp were kind of up and down. A lot of good stuff from both of them early in that game. Not a bad start from the offensive line. Uh, the tackles were a little bit more worrisome than the interior guys and Feeney and Lamp. But, um, you know, overall, early on, the guys did good up front. Uh, later on, they kind of broke down. Yeah, I thought um, I thought you could see Feeney kind of looked like he was more comfortable there in the middle of the line. He had some nice plays where he climbed to the second level and made some uh, made some nice blocks. And Lamp had a couple key blocks on some of Eckler's long runs early in the game. So mm-hmm. those guys looked pretty good. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Lamp play a little bit of right guard too once they moved Feeney over to left guard? Yep, yep, they sure he did. finished the game at right guard, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so he played get, both guard spots. So getting getting him moved around and, and experimenting with him a little bit is definitely a good thing. Uh, my second storyline uh, is about the interior of the defensive line, and that is basically to say that while they weren't bad, I did not think we had any questions necessarily answered about the interior of the defensive line. I know Gus Bradley is saying that uh, Justin Jones stood out uh, in the game on Thursday on tape. I've rewatched that game a couple times. I saw he had one tackle, uh, a run stop, and I think it was up to start the second drive. He he didn't. He was pretty quiet. Uh, hands were active. Uh, didn't think he got a whole lot of you know upfield pressure. It wasn't all that disruptive. Was just kind of holding his spot on the line and and you know holding holding his ground so to speak. I didn't think he was all that all that great. Not terrible, but just quiet. Uh, one guy who I thought kind of popped a couple times, wasn't real consistent. I thought T.Y. McGill had a couple pressures, Yep, showed up a couple times. He didn't finish the plays, but he uh, forced a couple of rush throws. Also had a couple plays that he chased down from behind, showing a lot of hustle. He was one of the few interior linemen that I thought really not necessarily stood out, but pro- helped himself to a certain degree because with the hustle, with the pressures, he was shooting gaps and was more disruptive than most of the other interior linemen. But as a whole, I thought that was a group that we went into camp with a lot of questions about, and we left game one. And again, it is only game one, but we left game one with questions. Uh, didn't see a whole lot from Cortez Broughton. Didn't see a whole lot from Justin Jones, um, at least not in my opinion. Uh, I, you know, Square, Damian Square was pretty quiet. Uh, Miguel popped once or twice, had a couple, you know, hustle plays. Um, D liner was just kind of there. You know, none of those guys really stood out to me. So I think we have even more questions going into game two. Uh, and now it sounds like in game two, we're going to get to see Jerry Tillery. So that's a good thing. Uh, hopefully that'll help answer some of those questions, but I just really don't feel like we have any clarity on that position right now. So that's something that we will continue to monitor going into week two and beyond. 
Yeah, no Jerry Tillery, no Brandon Meebane in the interior, but uh, Justin Jones was pretty quiet. I think you were right, though. I think T.Y. McGill popped more than any other interior defensive lineman. He was the guy uh, right in the quarterback's lap when he threw that ball that Drew Tranquil intercepted. Kind of mm-hmm. disrupted the throw a little bit, had to get on his back heels with T.Y. McGill bearing down on him. So, you know, kind of helped make that play. So I, I, I agree with you. I thought McGill was probably the most impressive interior defensive lineman on Thursday. Let's go ahead and move on to another important storyline. And this is the first time we got to see the running backs without Melvin Gordon. And, um, they, you know, with the starter, the quote unquote starters again, they didn't really suffer early. The Chargers first drive, of course, they moved the ball down the field with ease. Eckler on the ground. Jackson picking up some carries as well. Of course, Eckler fumbles the ball on the two yard line, which isn't great. But when Tyrod Taylor was in at quarterback, the offense moved the ball with ease. They didn't have any problem. Uh, you know, if Eckler doesn't fumble that ball, they're probably at 14. And uh, the rushing attempts with Eckler specifically were what I hope to see in week one because they got him out on the edges. They had Lyman pulling with him. They tossed where Eckler had a, a running start on a second drive, which uh, was his best gain of the night. He had 19, and he sat after the first two series, but he finished with five carries, 40 yards. And they utilized him out of the backfield as well. He had three catches, 29 yards. And that was second on the team in receiving, and he only played two drives. So uh, really important to get him out on the edges. They weren't trying to pound him in the middle like they did uh, when he was starting in 2018. They kind of got him where he needed to be in space, uh, got him the ball early too. Uh, Justin Jackson showed some good power to finish off that TD run. He found the edge, put his head down at the two, took on a defender, and then just kind of grinded it out right inside the pylon for a touchdown. Uh, looked like he was still finding his footing a little bit, Jackson was. And uh, he had some good runs that he almost broke for a big gain, but he there was just one defender he needed to miss to make miss, and he didn't. And uh, he ended up bringing him down. So it uh, kind of looked like he was trying to find his footing a little bit. But uh, Tyrod Taylor... And Easton Stick killed it on the ground, too. But just among the running backs, the other two, Dietrich Newsom and Tremaine Pope, were pretty ineffective. The undrafted free agent, uh, Jeremy Cox, only had one carry for zero yards. So outside of Jackson and Eckler, uh, not much to speak about. But those two were very good early on. How many touches did Newsom have? It feels like he barely touched the ball at all. Dietrich Newsom had five carries. Tremaine Pope had six. But still, Newsom had 13 yards on five carries, and Tremaine Pope had 15 yards on six carries. So they were both averaging about 2.5 yards a carry, which uh, ain't great. Yeah, not all that impressive. But definitely, I think we saw some things uh, from Eckler and, and Jackson that maybe we wouldn't have expected. <laughs> uh, sorry, my, my daughter is peeking over my shoulder trying to get on, on camera with Gary here. So. <laughs> it looks like she has her face painted. She does. We went oh, to the okay. Padre game today, and she got her face painted like a doggy. Oh, look! That's what I thought. Yep. She's hiding behind the mic now. She is now. She's ner- <laughs> now that we're talking about her, she's nervous. <laughs> You're not uh, on camera, sweetheart. Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about it. Nobody can see you. <laughs> um, uh, I thought there was a play right before the fumble, before Eckler's fumble down around the goal line, where they had a, I think it was a second and two or a second and three. And Eckler put his shoulder down and helped move the pile to get the first down. And then you had Jackson dropping his shoulder and getting into the end zone, finishing a tough run with a physical, you know, physical finish there. I thought those are some things. I think those are some of the biggest question marks about this running group, running Mm -hmm. back group without Melvin Gordon is can they move the pile? Can they finish runs? Can they be physical with the running game? And I think we've seen that, you know, as needed, they can. It may not be something you want them to do all the time. But it seems like, you know, if you need them to drop the shoulder to pick up an extra yard, certainly Jackson can do that. I think uh, Eckler can pick up an extra yard falling forward if needed. Uh, he's just got to make sure he's protecting that, 
that ball because he can't be fumbling down there at all, let alone around the goal line. Yeah, yeah. So good he got that out of the way here in the preseason, and uh, he'll be ready week one. Yeah, and he was obviously irritated with himself too. So um, so my next storyline here is just I'm just going to talk about some of the young guys who popped on Thursday. Uh, there were a few of them, guys, some more so than others. Uh, the first one, obviously, you mentioned him earlier, Drew Twank. Drew Tranquil, Drew Tranquil <laughs> popped in that game. Uh, he had five tackles. Uh, I was watching special teams. He was a guy who uh, he he start. He was with the first team, kick coverage team, punt coverage team, and punt and punt return teams. So uh, he's already climbing the depth chart in terms of the special teams units, which is a good sign for a guy who's going to be a backup. And then he had five tackles on defense. He had a couple really nice run stops. Uh, looked good and in in coverage. Uh, he was making some quick, decisive reads and getting to where he needed to be and finishing when he needed to. And of course, the interception was huge. Uh, you know, he he started that play on the line of scrimmage, dropped back twenty yards, elevated, high pointed the ball, came down with it. It was a beautiful play, and I think we saw a lot from him. Uh, a lot of the things from, that we liked about him in college, we saw in that game. You know, his ability to come downhill, flow sideline to sideline, drop back in coverage. These are all things that we haven't seen Chargers linebackers do on a consistent basis. And when you get somebody who's 6'2", 235, who's able to do those kind of things, you start to get kind of excited about that. I think there's a lot of a lot of things to look forward to with Drew Tranquil. But he was one of the guys that I thought popped. He was probably the guy, the young guy, one of the two young guys who popped the most, the other one being Chris Peace. Uh, the defensive end, he was he was rotating at Leo there with uh, Ocheno Nwosu, mm-hmm. and both uh, both Peace and Tranquil were great. Peace had a sack. He had several pressures. You could see a lot of uh, speed off the edge. You could see a lot of bend. He was slippery coming around the edge. He set uh, set the edge a couple times against the run. Did a good job of disengaging to finish plays. He looked really really good. He was somebody who wasn't really even necessarily on my radar going into the preseason and he popped in a big, big way. Yep. Um, also somebody, somebody to keep an eye on somebody, another guy who wasn't really on our radar coming into the season, somebody who's had some NFL success. I thought Anthony Lanier had a good game as well. He, if you remember at the end of the first possession, the Cardinals first possession, when peace had his sack, Lanier was the other defensive lineman who met Pete, who met peace at the quarterback. And Lanier had two or three pressures. I think he had a quarterback hit, and he was involved in a couple of run stops as well. So both those guys pop. They look like they've got some real quickness off the edge, some good bend. Um, Lanier's kind of interesting in that he's 6'5", 280, so he's built like a more natural defensive lineman, kind of that like base end look like a Bosa or a Rochelle. Um, so those two guys popped really well. I also saw some nice tackles in the run game by Adarius Pickett playing pre-safety. Uh, Roderick Teamer had a couple special teams tackles and also had a couple nice plays on defense uh, in run support, some nice tackles, and he was he showed up quite a bit. So I thought those four guys in particular, or five guys, I guess, all, all showed up uh, consistently uh, on tape, and that was a good thing to see. Pickett did have a, a pretty bad hands-to-the-face penalty in coverage. I think it was his first snap in the game. But he settled down and played really well after that, I thought. Yeah, um, and that Drew Tranquil interception, you know, zone isn't really his forte. He's he's such a good athlete. He's so good man. So to get that interception to drop into zone and cut in front, 
it's pretty impressive. Just wait till you see him, you know, running with a tight end across that field because uh, he's he's really good. And uh, I agree with you with Peace. He popped a lot. I thought Isaac Rochelle popped a lot too. I mm-hmm. uh, didn't get a ton of snaps, yep. but you know, obviously had the snap had the sack. But in terms of you know some guys that weren't really on our radar, yeah, there were a lot of guys that uh, made some noise in that game. And so uh, moving back to offense. Um, you know, we got to talk about Easton Stick, who uh, might be the player of the game, could be in a loss. First team offense did their thing, but uh, Easton Stick uh, came on and was kind of the star of the show a little bit. He had his first drive where he was buried uh, by two straight penalties, setting him back. It was going to be three straight penalties, but Arizona declined that third one. And, um, you know, they, they got him going on that second drive. I mean, he didn't, he didn't get anything going on that first drive, but in the second drive, he got going. Uh, they, the, it was really smart by Wiz. They had a, uh, read option, the first play from scrimmage, and he basically was able to use his legs to get 20 yards. He got some confidence, and then he completed his next three passes, and then, uh, had his second down pass almost picked off after he got hit on the release, which was, of course, uh, Trey Pipkins, who let his guy go. <laughs> But then the very next play was an Didn't just awful, let him go, basically yeah. ignored him. <laughs> yeah. Ran yeah. right by him. Yeah, almost escorted him uh, back into Easton Stick's lap. But um very next play was that awful decision where he never saw the underneath defender in Tyler Ziegler and threw right to him for that interception. Stick did a nice job chasing him down because that probably could have turned into a pick six. They were commending him for his hustle. I couldn't stop thinking about what a terrible decision that was because that was... <laughs> Awful, but, you know, he made the tackle. They ended up scoring anyway, but a good job uh, to chase down the guy you just threw the football to. And then, you know, just like he did at North Dakota State, Easton Stick bounces back on his third drive. He's backed up against his own end zone. He gets sacked after Pipkins gets whipped on first down. So, again, uh, Pipkins uh, <laughs> getting pressure. Uh, a run on second down goes nowhere. And then on third down, he basically digs his back foot in the middle of his own end zone, drives the ball to Jordan Smallwood on the sideline for a gain of 20 on a third and 16. It was a beautiful throw, beautiful catch by Smallwood, uh, able to get his feet down, uh, toe tap that end zone or on that, um, on that sideline and catch bring that in. And then, of course, he marches the uh, team down the field. They score on that touchdown drive. It was, uh, you know, a drive that lasted over six minutes. He capped it off with a 31-yard touchdown run on a third and 13 where he dodged five different defenders into the end zone. That's what we saw at North Dakota State. You know, we there's a lot of really bad decisions, and he looked really, really raw. But more times than not, he brought the Bisons back in these last-ditch efforts, and he did it uh, in preseason. And I would have loved to see Easton Stick get the ball with, you know, down four with two minutes left. I would have loved to see him in a two-minute drill. But, you know, of course, Arizona was able to bleed out the clock and win the game. But also, you know, I thought that back shoulder throw to Malachi Dupree was a pretty good one on that two-point conversion. Watch, live, I thought the uh, the defender got the ball, but, you know, watching it a couple more times, it looks like, you know, I don't know what happened, but Dupree just couldn't bring it in and uh, just kind of had a lapse of concentration and he dropped it. Look, I, I think Stick was good. It, it's why they drafted him. It was that whole mental makeup. Yeah, you know, It's obviously the preseason, but... Stick got to experience the highs and the lows in a, in a, you know, the span of a half. So, uh, good for him to bring the team back to, uh, get a big touchdown run, complete some good, pretty good passes after making just an awful decision. So if you guys were listening, that was a really long winded way of, of Garrett saying Jamie's the asshole. I don't know if you <laughs> caught that, but I tweeted out before the game that I couldn't understand why people were so excited about a third string quarterback. And then, he leads that drive, and I've got people like retweeting me my own tweet saying, "Hi, remember me? This yeah. is why we're excited about him." Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm the asshole. Thanks. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, I thought what Stick did was really impressive because of the way he responded to his mistake. Mm-hmm. And that was the big thing. You, you mentioned mental makeup, and I think that's what really separates him from, you know, other quarterbacks who aren't going to make it in this league. Cardell uh, Jones? Cardell Jones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cardell Jones. Uh, <laughs> the game was not too fast for him. He was not deflated by a mistake. He came back on the next drive, made a huge third down throw. Frankly, he made a throw that I wasn't sure he was capable of making because you didn't see him make too many throws like that in the North Dakota State offense. He can throw the ball down the middle of the field, but he tends to float the ball, uh, does stick when he's throwing it to the perimeter, to the to the boundaries. And he made a perfect throw, and Dupree made a great catch, or Smallwood, excuse me, made a great catch, and it was it was perfect. And he just took that and built on it and got better and better and better. Made several really nice, well-timed throws in the intermediate passing game. You know, I, you just saw poise, timing, confidence, all things that we have not seen from Cardell Jones in three years. So, uh, no, I mean, I, I it's it's pretty amazing how much better he is than Jones. And Jones has actually four years in the league, three years on the or two years going on his third year potentially on the Chargers practice squad. Here's Stick making his first NFL appearance, and he's learning from mistakes and showing that poise and understanding the tempo and the and the rhythm of the of the game, uh, the timing of the offense, all that stuff. That's not easy stuff to pick up, and he picked it up very quickly. So he deserves a lot of credit between the mobility, the playmaking with his arm. You saw him climb the pocket several times under pressure and deliver big-time throws, take several hits, and still get back up and make those plays. These are all reasons why, you know, we said during the draft podcast, or the post-draft podcast, that while we weren't thrilled with the pick when it was made, after going back and looking at the tape, there were developable traits there. Uh, we just thought that maybe there was another position they could have addressed in that spot, and maybe they could have gotten stick a little bit later. But he looked very good in his first action. I want to see more of him, and that should be at the type of performance that should begin to put an end to the Cardell Jones experiment, which should have ended last year. Now it really should end. Yeah, yeah, and you know the fact that Cardell Jones came in before Stick was uh, a little bit of sus- a little bit suspect to begin with, but now you know Stick is firmly planted as that QB three because Cardell Jones looked like he was the first year rookie having his first appearance in the NFL. He looked awful, uh, had no feel for the game at all, and he looked completely lost. So no, no poise, uh, you know, rattled. Everything yeah. was too fast for him running in the wrong direction. He had one open receiver. Uh, he had a, a throw that he really should have connected on with Artavis Scott. I think it was on their first possession. Should have put some touch on it and let him upfield, mm-hmm. and he threw it wide and too hard, and Scott dropped it. Um, just, you know, it's it's what we've been seeing for the last couple of years. He's trying to fire everything in there. He's slow to recognize things. So uh, instead of in- anticipating somebody getting open and throwing them open, He's not throwing it until they get open. And oftentimes in the NFL, if you're waiting for somebody to get open before you throw it, by the time the ball gets there, they're not open anymore. So, uh, I mean, it's the same thing we've seen for the last couple of years. Uh, there's no no real surprise there, and it explains why they drafted Stick. And I would expect that we'll start to see them change roles here and see Stick start to get more snaps. But I think that was kind of put making bringing him in as the QB2 in that game him being Cardell I think was kind of I think that was Lynn's nod to Cardell of hey this is your chance dude like you got to show me something mm-hmm. and he 
he dropped the ball. So yeah, almost literally dropped the ball with with a fumble <laughs> that was called back. By the way, uh, running Very around carrying. <laughs> Run, running around carrying the ball like a loaf of bread on the sidelines and almost coughed it up. But, uh, yeah, so Stick should be QB3. I, I don't think there's really any mystery in that, and he deserves a lot of credit for his first outing. And, again, Jamie's the asshole. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, um, <laughs> I won't disagree with you there. But um, but I think uh, – Thanks, bud. <laughs> the, you know, the NFL just gets enamored with these big-arm quarterbacks. And, you know, the Chargers didn't make a, a bad decision trading a conditional pick for them. And, uh, you know, they try to develop them. And there isn't any shame in that. But, you know, it's just now time to cut bait. And that's kind of why they drafted Easton Stick. And that's fine. But going forward, you're you're probably got to see more from Easton Stick be- just because – of the traits we saw in, you know, a second half of that game. So, uh, we'll probably see a lot more Easton stick coming up here. And, uh, there is some, some excitement there for sure. Yeah, definitely. So talk to me about, um, uh, any other storylines you got? Are you, are you moving on to special teams? You got anything else from defense? Yeah, I'm just going to hit def. I'm going to hit special teams really quickly. Uh, just throw a couple things out there that I noticed. One, I think something's pretty telling is that first of all, um, Ty Long out kicked. Newsom, yeah, uh, in that in that game on Thursday, out punted him, and Ty Long also handled all the kickoff duties in that game. So you're looking at a roster now that's going to carry three quarterbacks. They'll probably wind up carrying four running backs because I think they're going to have to carry Gordon on the active roster, even though he's uh, holding out. So I think they're going to wind up carrying four running backs more than likely. Uh, you're looking at probably carrying nine or ten offensive linemen. Numbers are starting to get tight. I don't think they can afford to keep one guy to do the kickoff duties and one guy to punt. It seems like, at least after one game where uh, Long kicked the crap out of the ball, punted the crap out of the ball, and kicked the ball really well on kickoffs, it seems like all signs are pointing to Long likely being the kickoff man and the punt man, the punter. Um, I just I just don't think that they can afford to essentially keep two punters on the roster just because they want one guy to handle kickoffs. I, I don't think the numbers are going to work out with Okung being hurt and Gordon holding out and having to carry extra bodies at both those positions. I just don't think they can afford it. So I think, you know, unless Long completely tanks it, if he keeps doing what he's doing, uh, he's probably going to wind up winning that kickoff job and, and punter job. Um, also, I mentioned it earlier, Tranquil, he was first team special teams for punt return team, kick return team, and punt team. Uh, very noteworthy for a guy who is a rookie to have already ascended to that level. Now you've got some really good athletes in that group. You know, guys like Jeremy Davis, Luciano Nwosu, uh, Phillips, Artavis Scott. Uh, all those guys can contribute on special teams. So it really makes the Chargers depth that much more impressive where they haven't been all that deep behind the starters in years past. Now they're starting to develop some talented young depth. Um, also worth noting... Uh, no Desmond King returning punts. It was all Arteva Scott. And we saw a whole lot of Troy Main Pope returning kickoffs. So it seems like uh, they're, I, I, it seems to me like they're trying to f- find a role for Scott where he can contribute to something other than a wide receiver. So he was, he was returning punts last preseason. He's back to doing it again. I know when we were at camp against the Rams, he was the number one punt returner that day. I don't know what you saw the other days you were at camp, but it seems like uh, he's headed towards potentially nailing down that role. And he actually broke at least one long punt the day that we were there at camp. So uh, it seems like he's headed towards nailing down that role and maybe the Chargers potentially fixing something that wasn't broken to begin with. 
So we'll see how that works. I really like King at punt return, but it seems like they're bound and determined to find to slide Scott into that role. So we'll see how that works out. And I mentioned it earlier, but Roderick Teamer popped a few times on special teams, had two or three special teams tackles, I think. Uh, looked really good in uh, making open field tackles down there. And it seems like, I don't know if he can make the roster just based on the numbers they have at safety once Adderley comes back, but uh, certainly maybe a practice squad spot for him where they can find some other way to hang on to him. So th- those are some of the, the special teams notes that I had. Yeah, I'd put money on uh, Roger Teamer being on the team's practice squad. I mean, yeah. they loved him this offseason. They were hyping him up leading into camp and um, made made a play or two in camp so far. Been been fairly quiet, but, you know, being able to pitch on a special teams is huge. I mean, we'll see when the season starts. I, I, I can't understand why they would try to not have Des King return punts. But, of course, you know, they've got Artavis Scott back there now. Um, having Tremaine Pope be the next man up was surprising to me. I thought um, – Rodney Randall was getting a lot of work, the uh, undrafted free agent, the DB. Real quick guy, too, um, that I think a lot of people were going to get excited about. Hopefully he'll get some more work um, coming up here. And then also, since we're talking about special teams, and correct me if I'm didn't uh, Michael Badgley have a kickoff, or am I wrong on that? Mm, I thought he had one. I, I don't think so, but, but I'll check. Hang on a second. But I remember Ty Long looked so good. I mean, I they didn't have a return on kickoffs, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, he... Ty Long did really good on punts, uh, did good on kickoffs. And, yeah, having a guy like Ty Long do kickoffs while Batchley just does field goals is just the perfect role. And the fact that Ty Long can kick field goals if Badgley ever goes down is an added bonus. So, By the way, Badgley did not have a kickoff, it doesn't look like. Oh, okay. While we're just kind of throwing things out here, um, one other thing on offense uh, that I just wanted to bring up was that none of the guys that we've talked about, you know, Travis Benjamin being out on Thursday – and uh, they had Jeremy Davis and Artavis Scott uh, play some heavy minutes here, and none of them did anything to kind of push for that wide receiver three role or even, you know, four or five. Nobody made a case for themselves. You know, they obviously are stuck there, and it's not like another guy jumped them, but nobody made a big splash on Thursday. Uh, Jeremy Davis had the most snaps of any wide receiver on Thursday. He didn't record a single catch. Artavis Scott had one catch for three yards. Of course, uh, one of the targets he dropped on the one you're talking about by Cardinal Jones, which is more on him. Um, but, you know, in all honesty, it seemed to me that Malachi Dupree was the best wide receiver on Thursday for the Chargers. He had that 25-yard catch and run, which was a really good in route uh, where he caught it and uh, got some separation from a DB. You know, he was the go-to guy on that two-point conversion. He dropped it, but I thought Dupree splashed a lot more, and I thought Smallwood did too, uh, more than Jeremy Davis or Arteva Scott. Yeah, I, I'm just kind of wondering if there's any real competition going on there. Uh, it it doesn't just seem like, like it. No, it, it kind of seemed like, you know, Scott and Davis got their kind of veteran treatment where they played a couple series and then they were out. Um, both those guys are major contributors, contributors on special teams. Not that you can't replace that, but it just seems like, you know, Davis has been building towards, you know, being that wide receiver four, wide receiver five for the last couple of years. Now there are reports this weekend that he and Scott were rotating in the slot with Travis Benjamin Hurt in practice this weekend, uh, and they've been doing that a lot in camp. Uh, Davis in particular rotating with Benjamin uh, with the ones. So uh, I'm not really sure there is a quote-unquote competition going on for the wide receiver four and wide receiver five. I think we know who the top three guys are. And I think it seems like, at least, and of course things could change, but it seems like uh, Davis and Scott are getting the veteran treatment and that they have spots and the team is more worried about, you know, 
kind of cementing their roles on special teams uh, than they are with having them splash as receivers in the offense in the preseason. You know, it seemed like this offseason that was a big storyline, you know, where the wide receiver depth chart and with things happening with Dylan Cantrell the way they did, it seemed like now that Artavis Scott and Jeremy Davis are just locked in, but there isn't any competition for Travis Benjamin. He just is that wide receiver three. Jeremy Davis, Artavis Scott are four and five, and then anybody else. There might be another guy that squeaks in there if they show up, but for right now, you got five wide receivers and they're just completely locked in. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Malachi Dupree. I liked him coming out of college. I think you did too. Yeah, uh, just love the frame. There's some speed there. He makes those contested catches. Uh, his numbers in college weren't that great because he played at LSU, and I can't remember the last time LSU had a halfway decent quarterback. Uh, <laughs> their quarterbacks are terrible. They've always been terrible. Um, but he, I, I thought he flashed a lot. Um, on Thursday, and he should have caught that that two point conversion. I thought it was maybe a little bit underthrown, maybe a little bit too far inside, but it wasn't a terrible throw. And he definitely should have reached out and caught that with his hands instead of trying to catch it with his body like he did. Uh, but he popped. Uh, Smallwood looked pretty good as well. So maybe those guys are competing for a spot on the practice squad. But I would be surprised if any of those guys really has a shot at climbing the roster and beating out Davis or Scott. And the one guy that we heard so much about coming in into the preseason throughout camp was uh, Jason Moore. Yep. And did he even play? Uh, he did and uh, didn't make much noise at he all. Didn't... I think he had a reception, if I'm not mistaken. He did not. Nope. I'm looking at it now. How many snaps did he play? Do you know? Uh, Jason Moore played 21 snaps. Hmm. Could have fooled me. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see, you know, maybe all those four guys, Liggins. Dupree, Smallwood, and more are really just competing for a practice squad spot or two. That's probably more likely at this point. Yeah. Um, just one more quick takeaway on defense. Something I want to throw out there is uh, there are a lot of extra bodies in camp this year in the secondary and at corner in particular, and none of those guys really seem to pop at all on Thursday. Um, there was a lot of talk about Arion Springs um, in camp. I, he had one tackle, and he had a tackle for loss. Uh, I don't remember him being anywhere near the ball in coverage. Uh, face on did not look all that great. He gave up a few plays. Uh, none of the guys behind uh, face on really showed up at all or played particularly well. So it'll be interesting to see how that depth chart develops, particularly with Travis Williams. Um, Trevor Williams. Trevor Williams, excuse me. Yep. Particularly with Trevor Williams being hurt again and not practicing and not playing on Thursday, uh, they're saying it's a minor injury. But uh, if he is banged up like he was last year through camp and can't get healthy, who's going to step up and take that, you know, CB five role as everybody else moves up the depth chart? Because nobody really looked like they were ready to do that on Thursday. I thought Faison was okay, um, but yeah, I think there was a lot of guys in that DB group that uh, didn't really do a lot. I thought. Roderick Teamer just did enough on special teams to make a splash and have his name called, but not a lot on defense. Yeah, he showed up. Yeah, Teamer had, I think, one or two. I think he had two special teams tackles and one defensive tackle, and he was pretty useful in run support, but that was about it. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next time. I'll do defense. Jamie will do offense. I appreciate you guys listening. I am at Garrisisti on on defense. (laughs) I'm at Garrisisti on defense on offense. Jamie? (laughs) At lightning underscore round. And we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) 